the Father loves you. Jesus is for you. And the Spirit is with you. That, that's my summary of Ephesians. The Father loves you. Jesus is for you. What does it mean he's for you? He's died for you. He rose for you. He reigns for you now, as well as intercedes for you. And the Spirit is with you. But then the little, like, two-bit hook that I have is that's, that's yes. But the second part is we're united to Christ. Find your identity in Jesus and follow the way of Jesus together in all of life. Like, that, that's, that's Ephesians. <laughs> the Father loves you. Jesus is for you. The Spirit is with you. You're united. We are united to Christ. Find your identity in him and follow him in all of life together. In all of life. That's, that's chapter 4, 5, and 6, right? When he got into specifics of relationships and roles in all of life. Now, we're wrapping up in Ephesians, and I want you to imagine, think, consider, put your place in the shoes of the people of this letter. Paul's in prison, writing to dear brothers and sisters, many who he spent two years with uh, in Ephesus. Many of them became Christians from hearing the gospel from him. Then he spent two years helping them, teaching them, while other people kept coming in, hearing about Jesus, meeting Jesus, and he kept teaching. So two years he's with them. And then this tight-knit family is waiting longingly to hear from him. Tychicus, who's a co-worker of Paul's, and he may be from Ephesus. We don't know exactly for sure from Acts 20, but at least he's from the region of Ephesus. And he's sent by Paul, and he shows up with news of Paul and news of these other churches and also a handwritten letter from Paul himself. And imagine with me, it'd be like us this morning just all getting together and one person standing up and saying, this, this is it, he wrote us. And one person, as everyone just gets quiet as a church mouse, listens to one leader stand up and read this letter out loud. And I think with the genuine inflection and the sincerity that comes from this is good news. And they all just take it in. And what we've done is, is done that over 30 weeks. But we're, we're capsulating, we're finishing here with, with what he does with this this sincere relationship that they have with Jesus, but also the, the grateful relationship they have with Paul is on full display if you think about this interaction of what's happening when they stop and read this letter to one another. And this is how it ends. If you have it, Ephesians 6, verse 19. Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this, I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. So he's in a prison, right, in Rome. But, but more than that, he's locked up waiting his tribunal with the emperor. That's what's at stake. It's appealing, and, and his really, literally, his life hangs in the balance. And so he's asking for prayer. 
If you were here last week, you saw that what he said right before this is he told them to pray at all times in the spirit with every form of prayer. And then he turns and says, so pray for me as well. Pray for boldness for me. At the heart of spiritual warfare is prayer. It's the power behind the armor. And so as he just told everyone, now he's asking for it. I quoted this last week, but I want to repeat it. Sam Storms in Understanding Spiritual Warfare says, Except on rare occasions, God will not intervene to give you daily victory unless you ask him to. And I bring that up because Paul has been bold. Do you know that? <laughs> he's been bold. One of the main reasons he's in prison is because he's been bold. He didn't shy away from it. When people ask him, what, what do you really think about Jesus? He'd be like, uh, well, you know, he didn't do that. Uh, I like him. He's uh, a good teacher, right? Like, he didn't do that. He's been bold. But he's asking God for victory today, for boldness when the next opportunity is given, for words to be given to him from God. So he asked God, and he asked the church to ask God as well. He wants to experience the same kind of direct guidance that, that Moses had with God. In Exodus 4.12, Now go, God says to Moses, and I will open your mouth and teach you what you are to say. <laughs> Jesus said he would give the same guidance in Luke 21. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. Paul's asking for prayer to boldly speak the story of God. To speak of the good news of Jesus. To boldly say to the emperor and the many around him that confessed the emperor as the world's savior and lord. Paul wants boldness so he can go to that man and all of his minions and say, actually, a man from Nazareth is the world's savior. Jesus is Lord. He's asking for that boldness to be able to say that to the one who's created a cultic worship environment where they all worship him. And Paul's saying, I'm going to go tell him he's not the Lord. Pray for me. I need boldness. I need boldness. And so uh, I've talked about bold evangelism for years because it's one of our three things, right? That we're going to make disciples who delight in the Trinity, who cultivate deep friendships, and boldly evangelize. And the things that I've tried to address, the objections I've heard, the things that I know real about my own heart. But I think when it gets down to brass tacks, the real issue is fear right? Fear of rejection, fear of getting in too deep, fear of them blowing you out of the water intellectually, right? Just fear, 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 fear. Where does that come from? The enemy. The enemy is feeding you fear. Why? Because if he can hinder the speaking of, then maybe he can hinder the hearing of. And so fear, 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 fear. And what Paul's saying, no, no, if you want boldness, pray. Stop listening to the enemy. This just goes back to where he's been. Stop listening to the enemy and listen to the Lord. 
talk to the Lord. Ask him for help. Ask him for boldness. Instead of banking on yesterday's morning mercies, how about asking for today? Like, this is what I need today. You gave me boldness four years ago. I'm sure you will as well. No, ask for it. Pray for it. Now, when I say, and I think Paul says bold, this does not mean harsh. This does not mean unloving. This does not mean considering the objections, the story of that person. What it means is I'm actually going to talk about Jesus. Because that's it. I can ask them about the church, and we could probably get hung up on that for a while, right? wounds, past experiences, good stuff, bad stuff. Talk about a lot of that, but, but, but really it comes down to, what about Jesus? What do you think about Jesus? I want to tell you about Jesus. I want to tell you, not, not, not harshly, not condemningly, but I want to invite you to good news. This is bold. And so, if you're like Paul, if you're like me, sometimes fearful, of the opportunity, sometimes fearful of that person, sometimes fearful of what might happen. And like Paul, and like me, <laughs> then, then let's pray about it. Let's ask for boldness. Ask for the power. Ask for the words to say. Ask for that courage that, yes, Jesus, you are good, and I trust you, and so I'm going to tell these people that you're good, and they can trust you. Ask for it. But then he transitions into thinking about, or really just speaking personally, kind of his, his greetings. If you've read First Corinthians, if you've read Romans, you'll see that, that Paul's very intimately involved with the churches, with his people, with co-workers. But here, there's not a long list. There's not a like, hey, say hi to this person. Greet this person. It's very succinct, and you'll see why. Verse 21, Tychicus, our dearly loved brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me so that you may be informed. I am sending him to you for this very reason, to let you know how we are and to encourage your hearts. So, so as I said earlier, they've been longly waiting to hear from Paul, to hear about what's happening from him, to, to, to hear about his appeal, to hear about his health, to hear about the health of the other churches, to hear about how the kingdom is advancing in the imperial city. And so he sends Tychicus to tell them all this that they're wanting to know, but also, what does it say? To encourage their hearts. And I love this back and forth because it's, it's know one another, and encourage one another. This is deeply personal. This is relational. This life is relationships. That's what it is. This life is relationships. Relationship with God, with others. That's what this is. To be known and be encouraged. Isn't that what we long for? That's what you really desire is a relationship 
where you're known and you're encouraged and you can know the other person and encourage them. One of our greatest fears is to be known and then be discouraged, condemned, cut off, isolated, rejected, right? But for someone to really know you and know the sweet evidences of God's grace in your life and also all the dirt and still be with you and stick with you and encourage you. In Colossians 2, he says it this way. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. To know, to be encouraged. This is, this is encouragement to live this out. This is encouraged to, to not just hear Ephesians, but to walk out Ephesians. This is, this is not just, I like Jesus and kind of his aura or his vibe or his teaching. No, I follow Jesus. I'm going to go after him, and, and him being the Lord is going to dictate, inform all of my life. My work, my marriage, my parenting, my friendships. So I want to tell you a little bit about this myself. To let you know some things. And to let, hopefully, you be encouraged. We, we, my wife and I, have had a lot of losses since starting this church. It's something to know. A lot of grief in the past almost six years. But I'll tell you something else you should know is, is we can also say, what was it, Friday night? Like this is maybe the best our marriage has ever been. Our relationship has ever been not just concept marriage like our relationship something to know though, something to rejoice in something else to know is just there's a joy I have in shepherding this church with Matt and Lucas and Rick I don't know if I, you know that you should know that that's why I'm telling you just a joy I, I think the first few years without them and I'm really grateful we're here now. And then I got to hang out with a few people on Friday night, sister churches, and you got to hear a lot of pains in their personal life, but also got to hear a lot of joy in the churches, a lot of growth in the churches, a lot of people meeting Jesus in our sister churches from um, 
from Grace Alito to Northbrook and around Saginaw to uh, Pillar on the east side of Fort Worth to the Paradox, Redemption Hill, just got to hear, hey, there's some been things hard for us personally in our life and our marriage and in relationships, but also we can celebrate that, that many, I think my best friend's gonna baptize all of his kids today. He's doing it right now. Isn't that a sweet? But to get a hear of like what the Lord is doing, to know that. And then I think about direct encouragement to you. And so I'll just speak, trying to this whole morning speak from the heart, but just you've taken some hits from the enemy and from your sin. Keep going. Jesus has you. Keep going. Following Jesus has included a lot of suffering. But remember the man of sorrows who knows your pain, your loss, and truly suffered in your place. And know that his spirit is with you, comforting you with truth, comforting you with his presence, and helping you even when you feel stuck or overwhelmed, helping you to cry out to God in grief, in lament. Others, your sin is slowly tearing apart your life, or maybe it's already blew up your relationships. I encourage you, where your sin abounds, grace superabounds. There's grace for you to confess and repent, and there's grace for you to forgive, and there's grace for you to reconcile, and there's grace for you to grow. Be encouraged. Keep going. Jesus has you. Others, you've been wounded by people, or maybe you have a lot of shame, and you find difficult, you find relationships difficult to start, or really difficult to sustain. Be encouraged. Jesus loves to heal wounded, broken, shame-filled people. It's his thing. He loves it. You see it in the New Testament. You see it in his life. He's not like, ooh, all these super religious people that are high in themselves. I love those guys. He does. He usually rebukes them con confrontationally. But you see his tenderness to those broken, to those who have wrecked their lives by their own sin. But those who have <laughs> deep wounds that feel like will never get healed, that's what he loves to do. He loves to bring you into his family in a community like this, which seems counterproductive that you've been hurt by people, but you're going to be healed by God through people, but that's what he loves to do. Brings you into relationships where you're known and encouraged, and you know, and you encourage. So I want you to know, but I also want you to be encouraged. Keep going. Jesus has us.
we should end with this good word, this benediction. In verse 23, Paul says, Peace to the brothers and sisters in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who have undying love for our Lord Jesus Christ. So we do this at the end of gathering. You know what this is. It's a benediction. It's a good word. It's a blessing from God to the people. And what he's saying is peace. And what he's doing is summarizing, recapitulating the whole book is what he's doing. Think about this peace. Peace from God to you. He said that in chapter 2. You have peace with God because of Jesus' blood shed for you. And so what he's saying is you have this peace and this blessing, this good word is I want you to know and experience this peace more and more where it even as you saw in chapters four, five and six, this is what God has done. This is who he's made you. But then you live it out. So this peace from God and knowing and experience it then means you move to to make peace. To cultivate peace in your relationships, to be the one that, that, again, doesn't cower in fear when there's conflict, but says, Spirit, you're with me, and you use conflict to grow me and that person. I'm going to go towards them. I'm going to move towards them. There's something between us. I'm going to move towards you. If you did something that I'm still sitting on, a bit resentful, I'm going to move towards you. And work towards peace. Peace to the brothers and sisters, but he says love from God. He said that in Ephesians 1, but also if you take 1 John 4 in account and Ephesians 2 in account, and you see what does love explicitly, clearly look like? It looks like the cross. That's how you know you're loved. So I want you to know the Father's love more. I want you to experience the Father's love. Then what? <laughs> of course, then it moves towards others in love. You're not a vase to hold all of the love of God. You're an instrument. It can't terminate on you. That's not how love works. God's love emanates from him, and it never diminishes at all. It only keeps going as it spreads out. What I'm saying is if you've been loved, then, then it moves you to love. Faith, faith in God from God, I, I, I want you, may you experience, he's saying, this faith in God, that's from God. Do you know it more? Ephesians 2, it's been gifted to you, but I want you to know it, I want you to experience it. And think about that, what does that look like in relationships? I think faith in God and trusting him means that then we work towards trusting creating trust, building it when we've wrecked it. But that's what we do. We want this trust and like a stable relationship, right? With one another. And without trust, where, where, is, where is it? Can I really <laughs> take what you say for face value? Can I trust that you're going to fall through with the things that you say? Can I 
but with this faith from God, I trust him. And so I'm going to also trust others and work to keep that trust. And then grace. Grace be with all. I love that phrase. I think it's wrong, but <laughs> I do love this phrase in the CSB. It says, those who have undying love. What I mean it's wrong is that it, the translation is wrong. I'm sorry, <laughs> to be clear, <laughs> to be very clear. The Bible is not wrong. Um, what I'm saying is the undying can be interpreted, translated for the grace, meaning the life we have, the Lord, that you have this immortal life with God. Now, you've been brought into it now. Like, you're not just waiting for some day that something magic will happen. Like, God's eternal life is with you, in you, and you have it with Jesus. Like, that, that's, that's what he's saying. But I do love the phrase and dying love for Jesus because that's what I want. Right? That's what I want for me. That's what I want for you. That poetic, undying love for Jesus. I want that, that passion, that ferocious care, that all-consuming obsession that he is who he is, so he's treasured above everything else in, in our lives, in our hearts. But grace, think about this again. Chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 1. This unmerited favor empowering love is what he's asking God to give us that we would know more of how much the father smiles at us and loves us because we're united to Christ to know more and more that unmerited faith you didn't earn this you didn't do this you're not going to lose it because you didn't accomplish it you're going to stay with him because he's staying with you and that empowering love that empowering grace that says, I may be right here. I may be stuck in a rut, but God has not left me by myself. Empower me to fight, to go to war for my family, for this family, for one another, for truth and justice and good. So even the benediction is a, a, a summary of all that he's been talking about, but also another challenge to say it can't just be believing what God has said about us, believing what he's done for us, but it also becomes our identity, and then we live that out. Peace, love, grace towards one another. To be very clear, the Father loves you. Jesus is for you. The Spirit is with you. We are united to Christ. So find your identity there. Find your identity there. And follow the way of Jesus together in all of life. That's it which is just the summary of our life, right? This book is a summary of who God is, what he's done for us, who he's made us, and how we get to live out this life with him forever. Thank you, Lord, for your word.
Thank you for this book. Thank you for these 30 weeks. Thank you that you love us. Thank you, Jesus, that you are for us. That you died for us. You rose for us. You reign for us. You intercede for us. And thank you, Spirit, that you're with us and all that you've done. And I ask, please, Lord, continue to work in your people. Continue to grow. Continue to mature. May love and grace and peace be our culture, our environment. Christ's name we pray. Amen.